This is the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. Your hosts, Sam Harris and Nicholas Farik, digest the most interesting, informative and topical books, giving you their biggest insights. We expose different perspectives and tools to look at the world to make you wiser than yesterday. Hey there, listener, and welcome to the Wiser Than Yesterday podcast. My name is Nico, and as usual, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host Sam, and today, as the second part of our series on the brain and neurodiversity, Sam and I have just finished reading the book Neurotribes, The Legacy of Autism and the Future of Neurodiversity, written by Steve Silberman. The first book we read about ADHD was because Sam is world famous in being very ADHD. And if you know him, you would know that. Um, <laughs> and so the reason we read this book now is because I actually semi self diagnosed as a kind of maybe autist or someone with autism spectrum disorder, mm, which is um, not such a common self diagnosis. There's quite a lot of people that self diagnose themselves with ADHD lately. But there's not mm. a lot of people being like, you know, I think I'm autistic. <laughs> I had a friend diagnose me for themselves as autistic when I was younger. Being like, Sam, mm. I think you're autistic. Pretty. It's pretty certain. I'm like, I don't think I am. Like, <laughs> mm. so there's a few traits that I do line up with, but mostly, mostly no. Yeah. And so if you think you were autistic or if you know someone, you might think that is autistic. This book will not really help you in figuring that out because this book is mostly a history lesson. Mm. It starts actually, and so I found someone, uh, what a hero, who wrote like a huge timeline. So the book is super long. I don't know how many pages, but it was 20 hours to listen to. And I think the first mention of something relating to autism is 1869 with Edouard Seguin, who is a French physician and educator, and he coins the term idiot savant or idiot savant. So it is people who have clear signs of problems specifically with communicating, but that are extremely good at very specific tasks and in specific areas. And so um, the book basically goes through the history since then. So it's the past 150 years in research around autism. And it wasn't always called autism, right? You have Asperger who found, who called whatever it was that he found in kids, Asperger syndrome, I believe. And so, yeah, it's a long book and it mainly talks about history and it describes a lot of terrible practices horrible practices that people did towards the kids that were yeah it's a really good book on like just history of humanity and um general equality and yeah being a nice human and how to think about development and just and to think about how shitty humans yeah, yeah. were or it's like mm. generally like how blind we were to things and bad so the same way that like, you might read something yeah. about the slave trade and just sort of be like wow what the hell was wrong with humans it's sort of just the way we weren't able to recognize that people have emotions and are worth something in society mm -hmm. as opposed to just sort of throwing them into like hospitals for being insane and useless and mm -hmm. sterilizing them and all kind of weird stuff. And yeah, it was kind of shocking, but yeah, obviously if you wanted to learn specifically about autism, not very helpful and they don't really describe the condition exactly. They just talk more about like what people thought about, <laughs> about the condition and how they interacted yeah. with it rather than the actual people who were autistic themselves, which was super fascinating but not fascinating as far as uh, how to understand the autism side of things exactly yeah so that's i think one thing i missed so 
Before this, in my preparation of this podcast, I looked up a lot of symptoms and potential causes for autism because those weren't really described in the book. So the book really talks about people that are showing autistic behaviors mm. and then how they were treated within that current medicine and, and psychological medicine area within that time yeah. and in that place because there were differences between the US and, and Europe, for example. Mm. It was interesting the way it developed across the world yeah. in different ways and certainly like the way Nazis yeah, exactly. the whole thing. and Yeah. Mm -hmm. The book basically describes two different scientists. So you have Asperger's in Europe, Austria and Vienna, I believe. And then you had Kanner. It was Kanner, I think. It doesn't matter. Who discovered it? <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's not really relevant anyway. So he figured it out almost at the same time, but completely unconnected in the US. I think there's some other examples where things were discovered at the same time without any connection randomly across the world. Mm. And so anyway, the book goes into, you know, these types of diagnoses. And for me, I was shocked to see how people could consider someone who was not normal, in a sense, right, who had some developmental issues, some communication issues, and they would be considered as almost not human at that point. And so the things that were done to these children is just horrible, right? Specifically with the Nazis, the Nazis considered, you know, some people like the Ubermensch, alpha humans and then everyone who was not that who actually didn't have the right to produce or even live almost and so kids that had any developmental issues were just laid outside in winter to die of of like a lung infections it's pretty horrible and so the book for me like if i would have to describe the book in a few sentences basically describes how psychology looked at autism and tried to cure autism in the past 150 years. And it's only recently where people, instead of focusing on trying to cure autism, started instead to not try to cure it, but just to design life around the limitation that autism brings. And I feel like that is the point that the book tries to make. It is that autism is not necessarily a disease. It is more like your brain just works differently. And there is at least as far as modern medicine knows, no treatments. And so instead of trying random stuff to fix it, making life difficult for the person who has it, why not just design life around the limitations that it brings for the people who have it so they can live, you know, a happy life? Because, and this is one thing I found interesting, it is like, it feels like society decides what a good life is and what a valuable life is. And so a lot of autistic people have problems communicating and tend to really like being alone, spending time in their room and just being by themselves and, and being like maybe even like doing some one activity that is super repetitive. I don't know, like looking at like a toy car, like pulling the toy car and letting it drive by itself, something like that. And it feels like as a society, we then decide that that's not a valuable way to spend your life and someone shouldn't do that. While if, you know, someone enjoys their time doing that and it's not a hassle to anyone, why not just leave them be? And I feel like in the end, that's kind of the conclusion of the book. You know, a lot of horrible things have been done trying to solve autism or cure autism. Why not just let the people that have these symptoms just live their life in the happiest way they can, whatever way they want and not necessarily what society wants? Mm. Which, yeah. Quite agree with the general anyway, statement. Yep. And then like, I think it's even autism aside, people kind of think that people want what they want and kind of get annoyed when people sort of are going towards other things and stuff or like try to live their lives in different ways. And they're like, well, that's not how to be happy. You should be wanting this thing kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's, it's just a good book about like empathy, really, <laughs> and saying that people are different and that there are different ways to find happiness. Mm -hmm. And there's not just one way and that actually you can create a nice life for someone who is autistic where they 
get to have like regularity and some security in the way that they do things. And they can mm-hmm. actually also be productive and do useful stuff for them and the world if you like work with the way they want to work as opposed to trying to force them to be something else. 100%. Yeah, I fully agree. Which is ironic because autisms or autistic people are known to have a lack of empathy as well. And yeah. it's um, maybe we can go into some of the potential causes. So this is stuff that was not really expressively like talked about in the book, which I actually missed. I think this is one of the shortcomings of the book. I would have liked, you know, at the end, right? We've looked at the whole history and this is currently where, where science stands when it comes to autism. But basically what causes autism, there is no single known cause. So there are genetic factors, which the book describes as well. Quite often, kids that are diagnosed with autism have parents who are either like very successful or have a very technical job, like an engineer. Quite often, both, right? Where both the, the father and the mother have these types of high, you know, achieving or, you know, high complexity jobs. And so it seems like there is some genetic factors there. And I've also found that I think on average, some people are more interested in things and some people are more interested in people and people that are more interested in things tend to go towards engineering as a profession and tend to be very interested in machines and and these types of things Mm. while people who are more interested in people prefer other types of professions where there's more interaction with people and more engagement with people yeah yeah definitely and so it feels like autistic people in general are very much like on the extreme end, almost focused or interested in things and certain activities and way less interested in people. They tend to like to be on their own, have trouble communicating. And so it feels like this is almost like a natural progression of, you know, if at the moment you too much prefer things over people, this might put you on, on the autistic spectrum. I don't know. Mm, definitely. And I mean, I, I can say like <laughs> some of my business partners, like the technical side ones are they actually kind of prefer to have their data themselves and like just be locked away coding all day long. And, mm-hmm. but they, they still like people, but like very few people, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And like mm-hmm. they kind of like regularity in them and stuff. And I find it really hard to understand how they can kind of work for a few years by themselves completely. Like if I'm not running a business with other people around me, at least a bit, I get really lonely. And when I was coding, I used to get really lonely as well. Like I just, dealing with code by myself for like a week on an end it's just like what the shit is going on i'm gonna just gonna die <laughs> whereas yeah my business partners just seem to like just be in their happy place the whole time and i'm like how are you happy do you need me to come and spend some time with you what's going on <laughs> and yeah i mm-hmm. sort of find that hard that people enjoy that mm-hmm. <laughs> but um they seem to do so maybe they are slightly on the autistic spectrum yeah a smidge yeah it's also not clear right because you yeah, can yeah. almost make a case that everyone kind of exhibits some of these symptoms Everyone's like a little bit introverted and a little, yeah. <laughs> but that said, a little like, bit extroverted in this. I, I've looked up a bit about this and I didn't really find any details on the internet in the short search because I didn't, it's not that I spent hours looking for this, but I remember having a discussion with my wife who's very interested in psychology. And she told me mm. that it's not so that the spectrum starts at normal and ends up at extreme autism. It's more like there is a spectrum the autism spectrum, there's not a lot of people who are actually on the autism spectrum. And within that spectrum, you can go from, you know, high functioning to low functioning, but also there are mixes where some people are good at communicating, but not very good at, you know, that they need like a shit ton of order in their life and stuff like that. So apparently, according to her, but this is like, I didn't find any like hard proof of this. It's not that like half of the people are actually like somewhere on the autism spectrum, basically. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a common misconception with quite a few things. I think it's the same with narcissism as in like, People talk about like, everyone getting more narcissistic with all mm. social media and this kind of stuff, but actually 
there's a few major things in narcissism which you need to have first to be like on the low end of the spectrum before you get all the way to the high end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. And like 99% of people aren't like even on the low end of the spectrum. Mm-hmm. I mean, we are all getting a bit more self-obsessed with the way that like the whole world is pushing you that way, but it's not actually making you a full-on narcissist exactly. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So I talked about, you know, potential causes, and it feels like right now genetics are the main culprit here with autism, mm. and they're looking into potential environmental factors. So these are non-genetic factors that might be contributing to being autistic, and there's no proof that there's anything that is environmental, but there's research being done. Yeah. But what has been proven is that there's no real link between vaccines and autism, which the book talks about a bit as well. And the initial research that supposedly proved that there was a link between the two has actually been retracted. Not a lot of people know this. And it's so interesting that there's this public outcry about one piece of research that proves something that people kind of want to believe. And then even after it's actually officially retracted because it was you know, based on false data and all of that stuff, it's still like a major thing. Like people still yeah. want to believe this. And so, I don't know, humans, I guess, are not very smart. Mm, definitely the amount of damage it's caused in terms of like health problems has been pretty high but well if you just look at like the other kind of things that people sort of believe and it kind of if something ties into things that they kind of already want to believe and stuff then um it's kind of weird and people certainly just they get a bit sensitive around stuff that sort of things that they kind of are told they have to do like taking a vaccine or anything they sort of mm. anything that sort of <laughs> ties into disagreeing with what something was put on them without them asking they're kind of always against which i find odd because as far as I'm concerned, it's like, if I can have a vaccine that like gives me the benefits of uh, basically being ill without actually being ill, and it's like, <laughs> gives my immune system, like, fuck it, give me every single vaccine I can have. Yeah. As long as it's been like, scientifically proven to not mess something up, which... Yeah. But I think that, that term, like... The difficulty it takes to get there. Is scientifically hard. proven doesn't mean a lot to a lot of people, I believe, yeah. um, or it seems. So I guess one of the comments I saw around in general, like vaccines, and also specifically with um, COVID vaccines, it seems like the scientific community has done a poor job communicating in general around this. Yeah, yeah. It's also interesting how... You're not trained as a scientist to become good at general selling things and getting like mass people to understand what you're talking about. You're good at getting to the point where your paper gets published in a very different environment in ways that most normal people can't understand. And... um, I don't think it's that beneficial. It feels like the problem with science and scientists is that I think any science that is not physics is cannot deal in absolutes. And so yeah. whenever you're trying to do research on human health, for example, there is no such thing as this is proven to be true. No, it is proven that there is a very small chance that this is not true. This is how statistics works. And it is also impossible to prove that something is not true. And so again, like scientists use phrasings, which are factually completely correct. Like we haven't found any proven link between vaccines and autism. But the problem is that if you're an average Joe that has never, you know, went to college, never done any rigorous scientific research, that means like, whoa, there is no connection found, but they didn't tell me that it, there is definitely hundred percent no connection. So there might be a connection. And so I think the wordings there are important. So on one hand, you have the scientific community who wants to be correct, right? And who cannot say that something is 100% true because that's not how science and this this type of research works. And on the Mm. other hand, you have people who are used to watching Fox News where they talk about vaccines definitely cause autism and where they hear a lot of absolutes. And then if you have to 
decide for yourself what you think is true. I think human nature is just to believe the most extreme, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. And oh, it's, oh, it's not the Peter Prince words. But yeah, that's the the one which Taleb talks about and a few other people around. Like the extreme voices get heard a lot more. And like scientists are never going to be that extreme with what they're saying because they're always exactly. going to be yeah. a bit conservative of being like, well, 99% is not true, but like you. Yeah obviously there are possibilities because we couldn't have like accounted for this thing and our thing and stuff. Whereas like someone else who is an idiot will be convinced with what they're saying. And they'll, so they'll shout much louder and they'll get more attention for it. Yeah. So that was one thing about the world, which does come up in the book and was a problem. And, um, there was a few other things I wanted to mention that I've forgotten what they are. Good. I'll talk about some of the symptoms that kids um, have or exhibit when they are young and the reason why they're usually diagnosed with autism. So most of these symptoms come up around the age of two, but sometimes they also happen in early infancy. So one major one is communication issues. So for example, kids can be non-responsive to their name. They often have delayed speech. They are generally hard to converse with, and they sometimes speak in like an abnormal tone, very robotic. They tend to, you know, speak in sentences that they heard without really understanding what the sentence means. These kids often also like playing alone. They often have reduced eye contact, don't have a lot of facial expressions, and they have trouble expressing emotions or emphasizing with other people and recognizing emotions and recognizing nonverbal cues like facial expressions and stuff like that. So these are mm, some symptoms. Yeah. So I, I relate to quite a lot of those symptoms as a child. Mm. I didn't. Not so much of the robotic saying exactly what I just heard, but otherwise I was super late speaking, didn't speak a lot, wasn't great with human contact. And also, I don't struggle with empathizing with people in general, but I do struggle with empathizing with people when they ask me a question, if they actually mean something else. Mm. So if my mom asked me if I want to do the washing up, like I would be like, no, even though I knew she wanted me to do the washing up and actually what she wanted was like, Sam, start doing the washing up, which mm -hmm. is, was fine. But she said, do you want to? So I'd be like, well, what you've asked is what's my like preference to do washing mm -hmm. up right now? And it's no. And yeah, I would just answer people's questions when they mean something else, which I found confusing. It's like, why have you said what you don't mean? Like say something else. <laughs> Sam, you might still be on that spectrum. You know? <laughs> yeah, maybe I am autistic <laughs> as well. Jesus. <laughs> That's funny. Because personally for me, I did not really... Uh, or at least, like, my, my parents never told me I had any of these issues. Yeah. Oh, I didn't respond as well. To, 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 I just ignored people a lot <laughs> when I was young. Yeah. I mean, the only thing for me, for my childhood, I was bad with people in general. So I didn't have a lot of friends. I was bullied quite a lot. And the fact that I might have not have a lot of empathy in general, or I don't know, maybe might have caused that. And then there's a few other patterns of behavior, Sam. So maybe you can try and see if those fit to you. So there's repetitive movements. And this is called stimming. So there's like, you know, hand waving and stuff like that, apparently that um, autistic people and specifically kids do. And that makes them feel more in control, I guess. And that's why they do this. So um could be a bunch of stuff. Then there's self-harm. So like biting themselves is also something um, they sometimes do. Then there's uh, very specific routines during the day or to do certain things. They sometimes have coordination problems where they walk like a robot and it's very unnatural. They sometimes have fascination for details. So for example, if they have a toy car, they might be fascinated about how the wheels are spinning. They're sometimes sensitive to light, sound, or touch. They don't like to engage. 
sometimes in make-believe play, it's very hard for them to fake something. They can have like an abnormal focus on an object or activity. So quite often, especially with adults, they would have like one or two subjects that they are like super, super into, and then they would not be into other stuff at all. And then finally, especially with kids, they can have very specific food preferences. These are some patterns of behavior. So mm, Sam, I all definitely of the had the, uh, the food preferences <laughs> as, a, as a kid. I was poor. Basically, I would vomit or eat ketchup and pasta, and that was fine. <laughs> Interesting. Interesting. Ketchup and pasta. The good old English spaghetti. Yeah. One is. It kind of got worse. Yeah. I think it was mainly from the school I went to. It's just had terrible food. Yeah, I used yeah. to be all right when I was, like, younger, younger. Mm. Um, yeah, like, certainly relate to, to some of those. Mm. Um, <laughs> Interesting. And then one thing we can maybe quickly discuss is that over the years, the number of diagnoses is rising in autists. And so the question is, are we getting better at detecting autism? Or is there like a real increase in the number of people that have autism? And so this is not clear, but I'm curious to hear Sam's thoughts on this. I think the understanding of autism is sort of growing as in what would be accepted as a diagnosis and the amount of people aware that maybe they should seek a diagnosis. So I think that's certainly contributing. And I don't know if there is anything else environmental that could be adding. Certainly in terms of like healthcare and these things, there's so many more things that are now allowing us to live where from an evolutionary standpoint, where maybe you wouldn't have been selected for. That makes mm-hmm. sense. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of the amount of people that have like awful teeth and stuff or like shit eyesight is growing because yeah. there's nothing to stop them from reproducing because we can fix that. Kind of thing. I think um, the best <laughs> example for that specifically is the fact that our heads are growing so much and that's yeah, because yeah. of C-sections. So basically because through C-sections, it doesn't really matter how big your head is. Our heads on average are just keep growing, which increases the number of C-sections, which increases the number of uh, the bigger, like yeah. larger size of heads. So I think I agree. So I think, I think there's going to be a combination between the fact that we're better at detecting autism. There's just more awareness around this. Uh, mm. But in general, I think I there's, think there's more... Yeah, jobs and useful things that people who are like slightly genetically autistic, like on the low end of the spectrum or something, that mm. can go and do and then be more functioning in a society where like actually there's going to be more people yes. that have like more of 100%. those things. And I think it's easier for someone who is like perhaps slightly autistic to find someone else that is slightly autistic than it used to be. Mm. Um, say you're in a small village and you're like a bit of a weirdo, but there's no one else like that. But now you can sort of go on online dating and you can find someone else that's also a bit of a weirdo in the same way. And so you're more likely to end up with two parents that could then have a mm-hmm. fully autistic child kind of thing. Autistic Tinder. Um, so totally random stuff didn't come up in the book that we just sort of, no, <laughs> so it could be complete fake news, but interesting. Yeah. And then one last point about the, some risk factors for autism is apparently boys are four times more likely to be autistic than girls. That wasn't described in the book, but the symptoms are different. So sometimes it's less clear with girls that they are actually autistic because I don't know what reasons, but this is something that they didn't discuss in the book. Family history is obviously a big risk factor. If you have someone who was autistic, the chances of you also being that are are very high. By the way, many of my personal symptoms, and I can go with, so after this, I have some adult symptoms for like adult autism that I feel like some of them apply to me. And that's why I think like I might be, you know, a case here. I found them, many of them also apply to my dad. So <laughs> I actually discussed this with him last week. I had lunch with him and I was like, you know what I think that I might have? And maybe you might have that as well. Uh, it was a fun conversation. And he was like, oh yeah, this does apply to me. So it was funny. And then there's other disorders that also tends to increase the chance of, of having autism. So there's a bunch of child disorders. And then if you have that, there's a larger chance that you have autism as well. Also extremely preterm babies. 
So if you're born, I think it was like before 26 weeks, there's a higher chance of you having autism. And then parents' ages. So the older the parents, the higher the chances of autism. Interesting. Yep. And then should I go into the adult autism symptoms? Yes, please. I yep. like to do that. And then you can go uh, talk about the stuff that you found. So one is finding it hard to understand what others are thinking or feeling. It's just a, a lack of empathy general. And I think this relates back to the people that are more interested in things and people that are more interesting people. So for me, for example, I'm very much a, more of a things person, which is why I prefer to sit behind a computer than in front of a person, I guess. I don't know. Uh, mm. But yeah, I'm not the most empathic. Uh, and so, yeah. yeah. See, I definitely not that. I, I'm super yeah. interested in people and fascinated and like love mm -hmm. psychology, but also talking to people to understand them things. Mm -hmm. Maybe you had like a child, yeah, maybe. <laughs> but I, I get super stressed out if I don't have a lot of time to myself with a computer doing things mm. as well. <laughs> if it's just people all the time, like totally overwhelming and like I go nuts. Interesting. Interesting. So, yeah. yeah. Mm. Then there's getting very anxious about social situations which I guess is not the case for you. Well, I think I've, I've really worked on it, if that makes sense. Mm. As in, I used to be super anxious about social situations and like have a growth mindset and force myself. And so like I was certainly would never want to be the person like talking, public speaking or anything, or even just with like a few people, if someone asked me a question in front of like a group, I would just like massively panic and have, oh, it was awful. Um, and now I'm crying getting a lot more comfortable with those kind of things. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. it's still not like, it still doesn't feel natural, if that makes sense. It sort of feels mm -hmm. like a thing that I know I don't need to be scared about and that like, I'm not going to die doing it and I can just keep on pushing myself to do it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then you have, well, and these are all related, right? Finding it hard to make friends or preferring to be on your own related to the above. I, I guess you find it very easy to make friends and then there's seemingly blunt, rude, or not interested in others without meaning to. I think that that like... Sometimes. That, yeah, I have that, I think, quite a lot. I think there's, and I just don't know, but uh, I think some people think like that guy is just an asshole, you know? He's yeah, super yeah rude. definitely. <laughs> yeah, I remember when I first met you, it was like, oh, this guy likes me. <laughs> and, this seems to be. Uh, and then like, yeah, a few weeks later, you're like, yeah, it's time to come to my house. I'm like, well, okay, I guess. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> and then it turns out you're, you're quite a nice guy. <laughs> yeah. And then there's finding it hard to say how you feel. Do you have that, Sam? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think my family's not the best at that. Hmm. Me neither. I've been working on it, but um, in general, uh, it's definitely... Yeah, yeah. Some people are so natural at just talking about their feelings. I'm like, oh, <laughs> I want to be like that. <laughs> why why did I do that? <laughs> yeah. And there's taking things very literally. So not understanding oh. sarcasm or phrases like break a leg, for example. Then having the same routine every day and getting very anxious if it changes. You talk a lot about one or two favorite topics, which already discussed earlier, and you experience hypersensitivity or impaired sensitivity to sensory input, like pain, sound, touch, or smell. This is one that I started getting quite recently. Like if my wife touches me like on my chest, sometimes it can suddenly get super overwhelming. And I've had times where I had to wear a sunglasses when we were watching a series at night because it was just too bright. So there's, I mean, I've been getting this pretty recently. So I guess this, this one applies to me as well. Interesting. Mostly no, but like I think I am a bit more sensitive to lights. Like I definitely wear sunglasses more, and like people are often looking at my computer screen and like, why the fuck is it that dark? <laughs> you don't seem like a person who needs or even likes routine. Yeah, I actually really like creating routines. Hmm. I like traveling, but I like completely change my routine kind of regularly. So I definitely go nuts having the same routine sort of for a whole year. 
but I also get stressed out if I'm traveling a lot and I never get to make a routine mm. and I kind of feel a bit lost and at sea the whole time and I don't like it at all. It might be like, I'm a bit autistic, but combined with ADHD, I kind of need routine, but I also need to change the routine and I kind of get bored of the same thing. That's, I don't know. Yeah. Interesting. So that's, so that is, and again, like through COVID and through lockdown, like I became such a like super routine person. Um, I have like my whole day set up every time, like every morning I wake up around six, I go to CrossFit to train or coach, and then I go come back home. I do my stretching, my meditation, and then I start work. And then in the evening, uh, me and my wife, we chill and we go to bed around nine 30 and I freaking love my routine. And so for example, next week I'm traveling to the US. If you're in San Francisco, by the way, hit me up. I'm coming there. And then it's just i don't know i'm getting stressed out because i have to travel uh already and i hate it <laughs> so um that stuff is um kind of applicable to to my life anyway so yeah these are some of the adult autism symptoms anything um more you'd like to add cool as far as the book's concerned i guess it was full of really good information and interesting and a, a nice history of like humanity and um sort of having more empathy and thinking about things But it was really long and difficult, and I definitely wouldn't have read it if it wasn't for the fact that we were recording a podcast about it. It's like a four, mm. maybe even a three, a mm. four. I've, I've made my decision. Okay. Down. So I'm gonna agree with you. I think, you know, as a history of autism, I, I guess it's a good book. It didn't fit like what I was looking for. Like I would have liked to have more like some of the symptoms and stuff like that and some of the treatments more in depth. I don't know. But that would have been something I, I'd have liked. So I'm gonna give it a five it's it's very long it sometimes goes in depth too much but it it has some stories and it was like i didn't hate it good for like you know how to be a good scientist and things i feel yeah and if you want into anthropology and, and stuff and history it's, it's pretty great yeah so um cool so thanks for listening for our next book sam and i read the wisdom of psychopaths it's a hard mm. word anyway so that book And yeah, interesting. And so with that, we're out. Hope you enjoyed this episode and we look forward to speaking to you in the next one. Cheers. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you like what you heard, feel free to give us a rating and share with your friends. If you'd like to ask us a question or give us a comment, feel free to join us on Reason. Reason is Sam's startup that is building a social podcasting app. It is a place where Sam and I listen to podcasts and share ideas and insights. It'd be great if you would hang out with us there. Thanks again and speak to you in the next episode. Cheers.